And so what so what we see here, I would call a, a desecration. And the question is why though? Why is yeah, this okay, a that's that's a good way to that's a good way to distinguish what we're trying to grapple with here. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host Nathan Rittenhouse. There is a ghoulish story that some of you may have caught. And Nathan wants me to introduce this because... Well, I found it before Cameron, but th- it was, he it was when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is Cameron right here. <laughs> there you go. Not sure whether I should should be <laughs> flattered or insulted there. But yeah, so this happened at Harvard Medical School. So a very prestigious institution. And I imagine that this is a huge embarrassment to leadership. And so you had a husband and wife couple. And again, this is one of those stories. I'm sure one day there will be a podcast about this, possibly a true crime series. It's just a wild story. This husband and wife team, it turned out, were selling body parts. And there was a kind of, there was a ring that they had going with, I think, at least two other people, maybe three. These are people, the, the, the body parts, of course, these are from people who had donated their bodies to science. So the, the, the thought was, the hope was that these, these people were, were, you know, their bodies were being used for research. So this was a noble aim, but this was a kind of side hustle, hideous side hustle that was going on and... I think, I mean, lots and lots of money was involved. Oh, yeah. We're over six figures in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it wasn't a menial amount of change. But skulls, skin, uh, bones, Mm -hmm. fetuses, um, various, yeah, all that category. Yeah. So obviously, a disturbing and very sad story. And leadership are now in, in the process of, I mean, imagine if you had to make this phone call, contacting family members and trying to spell this out, work this through, and figure out the next steps. That was one of the thoughts that came to my mind. Oh, yeah, your husband's story. skull is oh, now man. in a tattoo parlor, parlor in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. And again, if you... You 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 already have gathered from the nature of this story that you know you if you want to dig any deeper you know you've been you've been warned but let's just needless to say I'm trying to figure out a, a delicate way to say this diplomatically one of the culprits involved is a fairly exotic looking person and 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 I mean facial facial tattoos and looks like kind of prosthetic horns. Spikes Horns, in the head, yeah. all of that. So, well, when we saw that that picture, Nathan, I did think of. I, th- I think I, we joked about this. I thought of Oscar Wilde's famous hmm. quote, and this is this is D- Dallas Willard brought this to my attention. But Oscar Wilde said, "By the age of forty, you more or less have the face you deserve." <laughs> and so, if if you see, and this guy is forty, the, right? Or this guy like is forty. He's forty. Yeah, I think he's just forty. If you if you see his face, a lot of work went went into his face, but it's it's kind of it's an interesting. Oh, it's okay, a, it's interesting to think about that as you see him. Well, let me let's so let's loop around here from another angle and um, talk about human human bodies and human body parts for a minute, and then maybe can tie this mm-hmm. back in because I think there probably is a connection between 
how he styles himself and his moral compass as it relates to physical bodies. So here's a, a, a fun one just to, to get us started on this. Um, <laughs> right after my grandfather graduated from seminary, there was a man who had an amputation and came to him wanting him to have a funeral for his leg. And that oh, wow. <laughs> is an interesting, like, that's, so, yeah. Yeah. So process there. I mean, just think through that. second. like, that's not exactly what a funeral is. Um, because at a funeral, we're committing somebody's, um, spirit in the hands of a loving, merciful God. There's a, there's a spiritual component to laying someone at rest. So you wouldn't mm -hmm. really have a funeral for, um, it's not a funeral. Now I think you can help have somebody, um, uh, helpfully dispose of a body part and have that as a, um, I think you could be very, as a, as, a yeah. as part of the grief process of, you know, there's a lot to that. That would be pastoral and ways in which you could be helpful to somebody in that, in that sense that maybe you wouldn't call it a funeral, but you can see the tension that we're setting up here of like, when you detach a body, a human body part from mm -hmm. the body, obviously that is no longer that person. So there's a sense in which, okay, selling somebody's bones for bone art is morbid, but let's, where I hope we get is to be able to push in and say why we think that's true. Because naturalistically mm -hmm. speaking, it's not. Um, and, and other cultures keep the bones of people. People yes. keep ashes on their mantles. I mean, is that that much? So, so is it merely the honoring or the way in which you possess them? Um, there, there's a whole lot, there are a whole lot of interesting avenues here. Of one hand, you could say, well, I think this is gross and abhorrent. If you do, you need to say why. And we also need to say why that's mm -hmm. different than a lot of other ceremonial and burial practices um, and what's going on there. So mm -hmm. those are some of the just the surface level issues that I, you know, when they're not surface level, they get very deep very quickly. Because on one hand, I'll just lay this out here and then get you to jump in on this. You know, okay, think of all of the horrendous ways that people have died. Burned in fires, eaten by wild animals, tortured, mutilated, all, you know, dissolved by acid, all sorts of stuff. And my understanding and confidence in Christ is his ability that when he restores and redeems and renews all things, those who are lost at sea and everything else, that the physical restoration of your body is not going to be a problem for the almighty, regardless of how mm -hmm. uh, you physically deteriorated or decomposed or in mummified or embalmed or whatever. So I, I have zero theological, philosophical, like, so on one hand, there's a sense in which at a theological level, it doesn't matter what happens to your body after you're dead. On the other hand, what we do and how we think about human bodies as the living very much says a lot about what we think about the sanctity and the value of human life and proper honor and respect and care. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a twofold part to this. On one hand, it doesn't matter at all. On the other hand, it matters deeply for the kind of people we are and the way that we think about and what we would do with human bodies. So does that does that seem right to you, Cameron? Is that a, a, a possible yeah, I mean, when, uh, dichotomy to make there? Sure. I mean, and when you when you say it doesn't matter, you mean in the sense that it, it doesn't pose an insuperable challenge to our Lord. When well, he yeah, so I mean, you have you cultures where like body. if you aren't buried properly, your afterlife yes. is messed up. And Christianity Correct. just doesn't have any of that. I mean, if I die along that's, the road and vultures eat me, yeah. it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
I believe it was the Apache Indians who believed there are two ways they could be. And and again, apologies. This is we're in we're in dark territory here. We're talking about burnings and mutilations, but one of the reasons why scalping, for instance, became a big a big practice, sadly, was that Apaches, for instance, believed that if they were if they were scalped, then they were cursed and not allowed into paradise. And then the other method of, of killing was strangulation. So that's just to point out there are other beliefs, and that's one among many, many, as Nathan mm-hmm. Nathan was was saying. There are many belief systems who who tie the eternal destiny of the of the person and their soul to the fate of their body. And Christianity does not do that. But that oh, yeah. does coins mean- in the eyes, in the mouth, the things pharaohs were buried Correct. with for the afterlife. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole yeah. complex. Even the Old Testament, you see them um, hanging up bodies rather than burying them, and the warriors going and taking the body down and burying it. Um, Joseph mm-hmm. of Arimathea does that for Jesus. I mean, that, that wouldn't have had the same theological consequence to it, but you see that as something that cultures make an effort to appropriately honor um, mm-hmm. at least even if they don't put it in the category of like we're helping this person transition into the next life. And so what so what we see here, I would call a, a desecration. And the question is why though? Why is yeah, this okay, a desecration? that's that's I mean, a good way to that's a good way to distinguish what we're trying to grapple with here. Yeah. So I'm gonna bring in a story that Hans Burzma brought up once, which I think is very helpful and actually quite convicting. I think it'll be convicting to some of us. So Hans Bersma, theologian, he talks about, maybe you remember this, Nathan, the bodies exhibition. Do you remember the bodies exhibition? Oh, that's been a while. Yeah. And I believe it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's still, it's still going, but this is an exhibition ostensibly devoted to the celebration of the wonders of the human body. And so it displays pieces of the body, of real human bodies from cadavers. And a lot of, so Burzma describes being on, I can't remember the precise context, but being on a field trip, this was with a Christian school, and they had gone to this body's exhibition, and the verse sort of sponsoring this excursion was we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And this was supposed to be a celebration of the beauty of God's creation. But Burzma pointed out that he felt it was the opposite. He felt that this was more of a desecration. There's the word I used there earlier, because it was, he pointed out that this basically showcased the materialistic assumptions of our age where human bodies were displayed as nothing more than organs, dismembered pieces, basically like a kind of advanced organic machinery. Mm -hmm. And that this was a very hollow way to look at human beings. And actually, it did the opposite of honoring people, but actually ended up doing a dishonor to them. And I say that, I bring that up because... I remember, when, so when I was years and years ago, I was in my early 20s, I did go to the Bodies exhibition. Oh, okay. And You've seen that it. thought, yeah. I've seen it. And that thought, I remember being very captivated, for instance, by the human ear, the the inside of the ear and, and just the amazing. So, so what does that, that look like? Do they have a bunch of like, ears lined up or what? I mean, how do they display the ears in the human body exhibition? They have, yeah. So they have the, well, they have all the, the inner organs 
preserved in and in sort of encased so that you can walk around them, so to speak, and get a 3D perspective. They're sort of preserved in such a way to to capture. They don't look, you know, there, there's there's discoloration and all of that because these are mm-hmm. from, I can't remember the precise history. These are from, the bodies themselves are very old. But they've painstakingly brought them to a place where you can you can see what they would look like were they, you know, in a functioning human body. So you can, okay. you can just, it's a display of the intricacy, basically. Mm-hmm. But my, my point in bringing that up is, at, <laughs> I never, that thought that occurred to Bursma never crossed my mind at that point. I just thought, oh, wow, this is, this is very interesting. This is very scientific. And it wasn't until years later that I, I read Bursma's book and he brought that up and I felt a mounting sense of shock and conviction. Hmm. And conviction because of how desensitized I am and how that, because I think his response, and, and this this may ring true for some of our listeners here, I think his response was a deeply Christian response. And he had he had the proper sensitivity of a Christian in that moment. I think my response when I was there all those years ago was very callous, but I didn't realize it. That's what was so insidious about it. Now, this story that we're talking about, highly dramatic, okay? Obviously, we can say laws have been broken. These people's bodies were, were donated in good faith to science. So these people violated the law. They violated the wishes of these people. So we know that those laws were transgressed. So it's easy to point to the legalities of this, Nathan, and say, aha, well, here's, here's where you have a clear problem. But beyond that, though, in our kind of materialistic culture, I don't know that we would have that me- that much equipment to to really prick the conscience of somebody here. Because after all, think about the story you just re- related about the gentleman who came to your grandfather saying, "Hey, can we can you have a funeral for for my for my arm? For my leg, well, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for my leg." So, I mean, it's just it's just a, a a broken off limb. It's a broken off body part. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. I think that's the way we that's the way we 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 default to thinking sometimes. And so I imagine that in in the minds of these I assume the two people at least who were working at Harvard Medical School as managers in the morgue were highly educated themselves. I imagine that they probably took kind of a rationalistic view. I mean I'm not trying to be too speculative but about what they were doing and say, well no these are I, we're not hurting anybody. These okay. are yeah. body parts. Yeah. Or, or let's, so let's talk about this because this loops back around to what I was going to say. When you, when you, when you look this story up, you're going to see the face of the guy who is one of the main buyers because it is a very, a little bit of a shocking character. So, it's a dramatic. you have yep. you have people who work with dead bodies all the time. So there would be a desensitize a desensitizing process that would happen there if you were potentially a morgue worker and you know. Um, in the same way that if you worked in a slaughterhouse to some degree, you probably get desensitized to dead hogs, you know. Um, on the other hand, you have the buyer who has a reductionistic, naturalistic view of humanity anyway, if you look at the modifications. So his view of his physical body matched very nicely with a view of physical bodies that I'm sure there was no prick of conscience there um, either way as far as what is appropriate to do with a dead body or a living body. So I I see integrity there. 
Uh, so this, this would be a reminder. You can have integrity yep. <laughs> in bad ways um, around false premise, mm-hmm. but um, consistency, so, integrity. Yeah, so there's not the there's good consistency kind, and yeah. integrity. I think there's a, a continuity there for sure. Yeah, and so as we, I mean, when we look at, we, we look at these kinds of developments, there's a recurring theme in some of our recent podcasts, Nathan. We keep coming back to, on the one hand, ancient mindsets. So we talked about shamans in in our our last pod, podcast, and I tried my best to draw some parallels between the practices of, say, a shaman and some of the practices of our own contemporary culture to illustrate well, we haven't changed that much. And mm. here here again, you have on the one hand. You have, we began by talking about a bunch of ancient assumptions about respecting the dead, burial rites, all of that. I mean, there, you could, I mean, you could really lose yourself in all of the amazing elaborate rituals of the past, especially, yeah, ancient Egypt would be probably a supreme example, of course. But we tend to, every time we look at that, we think, oh, it's so distant, it's so remote, so exotic. We've outgrown all of that. And yet you see a story like this and you can see, yeah, but have we really outgrown that? Those people who have, quote, totally outgrown it display behavior that we recognize as a heinous departure from the way things ought to be. It so, seems well, to be a basic assumption of humans, by the way, that you you respect that there there is a high degree of respect and sacredness to somebody who has died, dead bodies, how burials are handled, all of that. And to act as, to, to have such a callous and cavalier attitude strikes most of us, I think just in terms of common sense, because this has been the basic assumption of humanity down the ages as something that is very wrong, no matter how yeah. enlightened or you know grown up supposedly we are. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of this? While you're speaking, I'm thinking of a couple of things. One is people find so like the, the Halloween Halloween spirits, ghost, um, disembodied spirits, I think people think of as creepy. Because you used the word oughtness mm-hmm. earlier, and and the proper oughtness for a human is a physical body as a spiritually integrated creature. So whenever you separate mm-hmm. out a, a spirit, you have a, a a spirit detached from a physical body, you're like, yeah, something's not right there. And also, when you have a dead body, we should be hardwired to be like, yeah, and that's not right either. Like, they're not spiritually there. It was kind of a morbid joke of like, when you have a funeral at church and somebody uh, is in their coffin, you know, for the Sunday afternoon, like, do you count them in the attendance that morning? Well, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. Like, their body is there in the library or wherever you store your yeah. bodies at church before the funeral. Um, and, but they aren't there. And so there's, there's a, there are two sides of this. One is a spirit without a body and one's a body without a spirit. And both of those are not right. So we should, we should have an uneasiness about both of those for humans. Um, so if we feel uneasy about it, it's because I think we, we are built for an integrated mentality when we're looking at what it means to be a human. Um, and, and both of those are incomplete. Even when you look in revelation at the idea of the spirits under the altar, like the, the post final resurrection, there's a, a still a longing for a completeness that hasn't happened yet, even for those who are in the presence of God. And so this reunification of the body and the spirit 
is what the resurrection perfectly is. Um, that's the ideal. And so both sides of that spirit without a body or body without a spirit, um, should seem not right to us. And we live in a developed nation where you will drive down the road and it's a route, it's a routine site for us to see the dead bodies of animals. Oh yeah. Kill that kind of thing. We do not live in a country where you routinely see dead bodies of people on the mm -hmm. street or otherwise. It is our practice here to, as soon as somebody has, has, has died, if, we, if a body is discovered, to immediately ensure that the body is properly taken care of and that a proper burial takes place. Okay, we don't think about it in these terms often. That is a nod to the sacred. Because if you travel internationally enough, you're going to know that that is not always the case. There are certain nations where you can go where there are, one of them that comes to mind would be would be India. You go into certain regions of the slums of India, there are, there are dead bodies on the street. And part of what is, is so deeply saddening about that and disturbing, and it's a real act of service, for instance, when Christian missionaries try to ensure that those those bodies, those unclaimed who belonged to people are properly buried, that's a real act of service because it's a recognition of the sacredness of a human being, that a human life has been lost, even if this was a person who happened to be among the poorest of the poor, you know, a person of no social standing, so to speak. Well, let's so work this backwards. I'm drawing, I'm trying to yeah, draw. No, that's, no, that's, yeah. that's good. But, but I think there's, there's more to it than that in the sense that, um, all right, let me say this sentence and then let's see if we can unpack it. How you treat a dead body says a whole lot about how you would treat a living human. I think so. Is there a connection there? Because again, I think there is. And let's go back to the face of this 40-year-old man who is a person made by God in the image of God. If that's true, and granted, this, this, this guy doesn't think that. Okay, so let's, let's give him, let's extend him that courtesy and say he's not a Christian. He's not going to behave like a Christian. Be silly of us to expect him to behave like a Christian. Well, we can and should expect him to, you know, behave like a decent human being and, you know, abide by the laws of the land. But what he, what he, you know, what he did to his face, by the way, is makes sense if you think that we are, that we are in charge of ourselves entirely. We're rational people in charge of our destiny, that the bodies we have are our own. If Christianity is true, though, your body is sacred because the Lord made it. And the life that you have, the breath in your lungs, is a gift from, from the Lord. And the time that you have, everything that you have, this is part of what it means when the expression all is grace is used, is used. This is part of what that means. Everything you have is a gift from on high. It's a gift from the Lord. Only the thought that, you know, a thought like, I didn't choose to exist. I didn't ask for all of this. These are very novel statements. In the history of humanity, people have not talked like that. Not until recent years, really until I would say probably this is perhaps a little speculative, but I would say that's, that's a those are distinctly modern things to say. We, we have this degree of, we feel this degree of ownership sometimes. And it's utterly, if, if Christianity is true, it's utterly out of keeping with reality. So your body matters and the way you treat bodies matters, including dead bodies, because 
this is this is the creation of the Lord. And again, as Nathan said at the beginning of this podcast, Christianity has a is not a disembodied belief system. When those those who belong to Christ die, they're given we are promised a resurrection body. So let me all right, so, taking taking what yeah. you've said there, let me make this awkward. Cause let's let's take Uh-oh. a little excursus on creation on cremation here. Which is, you know, very, mm. very common practice. You're right. That's, I think yep, I think I think most it. people don't think about this in this way. Um, it is primarily done because it's highly efficient. And so there's an American pragmatism and efficiency yes. that comes with it that um, and look, I know every single person listening to this has known somebody who's cremated, or maybe had somebody cremated or a loved one, maybe. So I I, I recognize the the Mm-hmm. I'm I'm touch I'm put, put, putting my fingers on some touchy things here, but I don't know that it would be bad for us to not rethink that as Christians. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there are circumstances in which that's appropriate, and again, it doesn't matter for their eternal destination. But it says a whole lot about us with what we're willing to do with somebody else's body after they die. And so, I'm not at a point where I would make a big bold statement on what you should or shouldn't do there, but I think it's worth thinking through. Um, and coming from, you know, uh, being related to people who do a lot of funerals, there's the psychological closure for the family of the body, but then there is an extra level of respect of committing somebody's body to the ground and their hands into the hands, you know, and their body into the hands of a merciful God, rather than keeping them on the mantle or dumping them in a river. Um, and maybe different families will come out at different places there, but I think there is some room for us as we push forward culturally speaking and think about consistently applying our concepts of the sanctity of life, that there might be some deep connections between what we want to commit. Um, and I know there's financial things and all sorts of things. So all the appropriate caveats there, but I wouldn't do it just because it's the cheapest or the fastest or the most convenient, because that might not be what's best for you and honoring, uh, the humans that have lived among you. Part of what the outworking of this episode is, is again, to show how Christianity ought to structure our complete view of reality and how we live our lives. And I keep going back to 21-year-old kid Cameron in at that exhibition, completely unperturbed by, by what I'm seeing and walking seamlessly in lockstep with the assumptions of my culture rather than having a Christian mindset on it. And that's just an illustration of how easy it is for us to fall into, to again, to, to kind of fall into step with our cultural assumptions. And yeah, okay. if we're thinking about, yeah. Well, all right, let me make it even weirder. Let's, let's, let's take, let's ratchet this up a notch. So what about eating humans? Um, in the sense mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I, you and I, I read a book, I don't know, did you read the book, that book on cannibalism? a year or so ago, basically the premise was there are 1500 species in which, you know, eating your same species is not a problem. Only one species has a problem with that. And that's humans. Um, it's interesting philosophical book, but there are, and so, yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, out for soil and farming humans here, but, um, so <laughs> in a, in a survival situation, plane crash in the Andes, you can read like the wreck of the well ship Essex. Mm-hmm. There've been multiple times in which people have needed to eat other people to stay alive. What about, is that morally different? Again, yeah, I mean, we're, that does, that flows from this, from this general topic, because we're, we're talking about the way 
we think of human beings. And again, the question, the question here is, what is the difference when it comes to a, to a person? If it's just, if, if human beings are just a very complex animal or one of the, you know, the, the animals with big brains, as some have said, then I don't think you're going to be able to make an argument against, against, you know, cannibalism in certain, in certain, you know, exceptional circumstances. If on the other hand, human beings are distinguished among all creatures on this planet and human beings are creatures, right? We, we are, there is the animal side to human beings in the sense that we're, we're, you know, we're living carbon-based life forms, but if human beings are made in the image of God, then no. So, okay. So, <laughs> Cause I, so I'm thinking through this in a couple of different, so say we're in a plane crash, I die. I give you permission to eat my calf muscles or whatever. You, all I got to say is I would be one stringy chew, man. I don't, <laughs> I can't figure out what part of me would be the most tasty, but, um, there's a sense in which I would be happy for somebody else to use my body in a way that saved their life. And I think when people donate their bodies to science, that's also what they're doing. They're not being morbid with their own bodies. I'm saying, ah, it doesn't matter. They're saying, I can contribute my body in a way that ultimately will lead to the preservation, um, medical research. They're, they're giving their, their bodies for the betterment of somebody else's life. So I, I think there's a, yes, maybe, yeah, yeah, I get, well, except for the fact that you're not being killed in order to do it. So obviously I would never kill somebody. I don't think you should kill me to eat me, but if I'm already dead and you mm-hmm. needed me, then, then my body is a gift. Um, so I, I, I in, in my mind, I can make a distinction there, even though it sounds really gross and morbid, but also if you're dying of hunger, you'd probably rethink your convictions on that as well. So, um, I don't know. I, I muddied the water there. Um, but it's a, I, I, mean, I think there, I think there is a distinction there for, for, for how the body is used afterward. Is it for, um, can it be done with, with Thanksgiving and honoring a life for the sake of others? And, and I see that as a yes. I don't see as a novelty mm-hmm. in a collection in somebody's basement as fulfilling that. Um, so anyway, I think a key word here that we that we haven't used yet, but would be respect. The way, yeah, respect needs to enter in in the sense that human beings are sacred. If the sacredness of human life is ensured, that can apply to a number of highly complex situations. And this is a world filled with complex situations, as as we've abundantly illustrated, I think, in in this episode. <laughs> So, but, but that's true, but we do inhabit a world where people, there are plane crashes where some die and others survive in very austere regions with no food. We do live in a world apparently where people who are in charge of Harvard medical school sell body parts to others for their private collections or for their home or for their museums. This, this is, so it's not an ideal world. This is the world where, where this kind of stuff happens. And how do we think Christianly about it? It seems to me if human beings are made in the image of God, we need to recognize the sacredness of human life. And that is going to be a key, 
that will be a key consideration in in all of the all of our our various the situations that confront us from going to an exhibition to looking at a story like this to confronting some of the questions that sometimes ethical philosophers love to throw at you. Eth- by the way, if you ever look through an ethics textbook, you're going to get a you're going to get schooled in some pretty morbid scenarios because <laughs> this is these are usually the way to get the the wheels turning, but sadly, again, we live in a world where those moral dilemma situations are usually they're not made up, they're real. Yeah, so is so I I'll I'll stop talking. I just keep thinking of interesting questions here. But I would say that our modern films are very okay with people getting killed. That's a standard feature. Yep. Yep. So there's a desensitization, uh, desensitizing that comes there. But I don't. I'm trying to think of what are, where are the places where we're forced to reckon with what then happens to our bodies. So so in in a lot of those, you know, somebody gets shot, quick killed. Yeah, there's this idea of like they deserved it and there's justice. But then the the treatment Mm -hmm. of the body afterward, um isn't a big consideration yeah. of that. Well, one of the, you, know, you, you set me up for this because, and here's, so here comes horror guy. I didn't, I confess I didn't read the cannibalism book. That was Nathan, not me, but Frankenstein, the story, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is a huge part of the plot involves the desecration of human bodies for the purposes of our own selfish gain and aims. Remember? So it begins with grave robbing. That's how yeah, the story that's starts. Right. And, yeah, so grave robbing yeah. isn't anything new. That's a documented... Not at all. Not at all. And especially in... And again, it has close connections with the scientific community because, again, people wanted to do research on, on oh, human bodies. And, when they when they dug the Panama Canal, they pickled those dudes that died of yellow fever and often shipped them back and sold them for medical... Re- I right? mean, imagine that. Pickling a human mm-hmm. in a barrel and yep. shipping it. I mean... It's yep. There you go. Well, and so everything from that to the horrendous experiments carried out by Joseph Mengele at Auschwitz and all of that. I mean, it doesn't. Not all of them are that. I mean, those are some of these are extreme examples. But you have you have. I mean, a lot of stories that involve the desecration of of human bodies, and the moral is usually that that some some sacred law some has been trespassed transgressed some line has been crossed that's certainly i mean because the the subtitle of mary shelley's frankenstein is the modern prometheus and i i think the two central this is just an aside from cameron the two central horror stories for modern people are frankenstein and the other one would be robert louis stevenson's the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde so i think those are those are our two major scary, frightening stories, works of the imagination that really get at the heart of so many of the conflicts that we see. And Frankenstein just happens to involve the desecration of of human dead bodies and grave robbing. Let me try to summarize what I think I've been trying to say here, and then you tell me if this is correct. Say you're you're a living person and you and you're and you you have to make a decision about a, a dead human body. Whatever you decide to do or not do with that body does not change their eternal outcome or whatever's happening in the in the future for them. That is safely in the Lord's hands. However, the decisions that you make say a whole lot about who you are, the type of person you are, and the type of person you're becoming. And so 
I think, you know, if you've been yeah. paying attention to the, the, the approach that Cameron and I have as it comes to discipleship, there's very much a virtue ethicist foundation here. This idea of being conformed in the image of Christ, that the type of person that we're becoming and through the choices and the decisions that we're enacting and as we're led by the Holy Spirit are forming us into a certain kind of person and that there's a telos to that, a direction that we're growing in. And so you can't destroy somebody's eternity by the way you treat their body after they're dead, but you can very much change your character by the the mm-hmm. flippancy that you um, express towards something that was created that was beautiful and good because God made it so and said that it was. So that's the distinction that I that I want to leave us with here. Then is we don't we don't have an undue view or a morbid. Um, we're not petrified of dead bodies. It's a, it's a part of life. We celebrate the resurrection because Jesus broke the death barrier and promises that he can make all things new. So a deep hope in the resurrection gives us, on one hand, a real sense of peace, rest, and carelessness about what happens to our bodies after we're, after we're gone. I don't care what happens. Um, however, that sanctity also then implores us and challenges us and gives us parameters, I think, about how we treat and honor the physical bodies of people after they have passed. That says a whole lot about us, a whole lot of what we think about who God is, and a whole lot about the way in which we will then ultimately end up treating our own physical bodies and the physical bodies of those around us. So I hope this has been helpful to you. It's kind of been a, a little bit dark, but I hope, hopeful actually, when we think about the reality of death, the reality of the resurrection, and um, some challenges along the way there for us to think specifically about how we, we, we might say, oh, that's an extreme form of it, but let's beware of subtle forms of desecration in our own lives. Yeah, keep thinking on that. I certainly will. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, the podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, Whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.